This is Michael Melfi, and welcome to the Be Investable podcast, a series where I speak with innovative individuals who share their insights about what it means to be investable. Welcome back to the Be Investable podcast. My name is Michael Melfi, and today I'm very enthusiastic to have Cameron Harold joining us on the podcast. Cameron? Hey, Michael. Hey, how are you doing? Really well, thank you. How are you? I'm really good, really good. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on and join us on the Be Investable podcast. Oh, happy to, for sure. And Cameron, you're, you're a founder of the COO Alliance, author of a couple books, Double Double and Meetings Suck, which don't they? And, and you also are the mastermind behind 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I always like to take it back a little old school, and I want to ask you, you know, in doing a little research on you, you started being an entrepreneur at a pretty early age. You want to share the first time you, you were an entrepreneur and how you made money doing it? Oh, wow. First, the first time that I can remember, I was around seven years old, and uh, my mom walked into my bedroom, and I had the old telephone with the long extension cord, and uh, I, was, I was in my room with the yellow pages, and I was phoning dry cleaning locations, and I was asking them how much they would pay me for coat hangers. And I remembered seeing a sign in the dry cleaner that said, coat hangers, two cents. And I was trying to get them to pay me five cents, but I got someone up to three cents or three and a half cents, I think, per coat hanger. I think I got them like <laughs> a half cent I negotiated. And um, so my mom, and I was writing down the prices beside all the dry cleaners. And my mom said, well, like, where are you going to get the coat hangers? And I kind of started to cry, and I opened up my closet, and it was filled with coat hangers. And over the last week when I'd been told to go out and play with my friends, what I went did is I went door to door and asked people for their old coat hangers. And um, so I had this huge stash of them, and then she drove me to the dry cleaner, and I sold them. So that was probably my first little entrepreneurial venture. What, what an awesome, and we're going to talk about some bigger ones after that. What do you think you learned at that that's carried forward with you through your life? Well, everything's negotiable, that, that you have to kind of, you know, make the phone calls and do the work. There's a little bit of effort behind stuff, and that, that um, you know, you can always meet in the middle. Like, the, you know, if I wanted four cents and they were offering me three cents, there's nothing wrong with asking for three and a half cents, and I got it. So just those little lessons, you know, you can carry forward that if I ask for $1,000 and somebody says 500 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push them to 950 or I'll, I'll stay at 1000 but I'll add value to it. You know, I'll, I'll bring you the coat hangers. You don't have to come and get them from me. Just those little lessons that I think you learn from every little entrepreneurial venture. And I think that's why what I'm trying to get parents to understand is, you know, if your kid's running a lemonade stand, back off. Go in the house and watch the football game. Like, stop hovering around your kid out by the lemonade stand. Let them <laughs> sell it. Let them learn. You know, make them buy the sugar and buy the lemonade or whatever they're mixing it with. And, you know, rent them the table for 50 cents. and Make them understand, you know, cost of goods sold and overhead. And, and make them understand that their sign sucks and learn. But... You know, if the mom's standing out there waving every car over, the kid's not learning anything on their own at all. Yeah, they, they definitely are. I couldn't agree more. And, it, it, you know, from an early age of seven, you know, you've been doing this. You know, by the time you're a teenager, you had another business. By the time you were 21, you had 14 employees. To you, it seems like it's, it's come natural, like walking or chewing gum. Do, do you think that's the same for all of us, or is it something you can teach people? I mean, you alluded to, hey, let, let them learn. So is this something that can be taught? No, not really. I think there's some of the leadership and, and skills can be taught, but I think you either have the entrepreneurial traits or you don't. And often, I actually did a TED Talk around this. It's still on the main TED.com website around eight years ago. 
and it was around raising kids as entrepreneurs. And, and what mm-hmm. I talked about is that you can identify entrepreneurial traits in children and in people, and we're often told that they're diseases. But most entrepreneurs have attention deficit disorder. Most entrepreneurs are on the spectrum for bipolar disorder. And, and that just makes us us. You know, the mania is the exciting part of why people follow our ideas and it gets us to start things. And then the stress or depression is simply us course correcting. The um, attention deficit disorder is not a disorder at all. It's a superpower. We know everything that's happening. We see what's going on with our customers and our suppliers and the market and the economy and our pricing and our product. And we catch little items that drive us crazy on our, on our website. Like we catch the spaces between words. And, but we don't get so bogged down with the details. We get bored of them, so we delegate them quickly. You know, in the school system, all of those are negative traits, but we're not trying to be right. teachers. And I think the school system and the medical community need, need to back off the kids that have the, a, you know, the, the entrepreneurial traits and maybe groom them and say, wow, these kids are very, let's, let's let them open a little store in the school and charge them rent in the, in the lunchroom instead of shutting them down. It's such an interesting concept, and I'm so glad you brought up your, your TED Talk because I think it was such an interesting concept that these traits are, we, we typically make them as bad, but what if they were a good? And like you just said, how could we, how can we utilize them to really support the person as opposed to make them feel like they got something wrong? It, it can well, make such data, an impact. The data supports it. You know, Henry Ford was bipolar. Ted Turner was bipolar. Richard Branson, ADD and dyslexic. Um, Steve Jobs diagnosed as hypomanic. Two of the three founders of Netscape are bipolar. You know, those are not diseases. And most entrepreneurs are ADD. Like when you, when you run the traits in a group of entrepreneurs, they're wickedly ADD. So, but, but we're not like teachers and we're not like doctors and we're not like most of the professionals who think there's a problem with us, but it's because we're not like them, but we're not supposed to be. Only 3% of the population should be running companies. 97% of the population should be working for us. Well said. And, you know, every time I get to do one of these interviews, I just, I'm so amazed at, the, at some of the people I get to speak with. And, 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 and you, you, you talk about some of these things and we look at some of your great successes and we're going to talk about a lot of those as we get through this conversation. I want to ask you, though, it's easy to talk about the upsides, the, the, the wins that you have. What about the downsides? What about the challenges? What, what's been the biggest challenge for you? Well, the biggest challenge is that it never leaves. You know, there, it's, running a business can become all-consuming and it can become distracting around family, around your, your friends. That we're, We don't put it to rest very often. You know, we're always thinking about ways to grow it and ways to build it. And, and because of the ADD, we can become all consumed with it and distracted in the rest of our lives. So that, you know, can be a negative for sure. You know, we don't have the, the government pension programs. You know, we don't, we don't sit and get, you know, a pension for working for the government. We don't, we have to save for, for our own. So not only do we have to reinvest in building our company and reinvest in growth and reinvest in hiring great people and reinvest in great culture, but we also have to scrape some money aside every year to save for our own future because we don't have you know, pensions or, or government or employers saving for us. So you have to make, you know, and you have risk. You know, we, we, you don't get, you don't get, you don't get, you know, benefits for the losses. You know, the losses are coming out of your pocket. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs work very, very hard for, you know, that, that, you know, the, the night before they become the overnight success. Thank you for that. And I, I want to ask you if you're okay. I had read on Forbes and when I was preparing for this a little bit about an interview you did with a gentleman named David about your experience you had right around the, the dot-com where you were actually faced with some health challenges because of your stress as an entrepreneur and how you had to deal with that. Oh, yeah. oh totally. 
Yeah, this was this was October of 2000. My company had had crashed. We built a company that we'd sold for 64 million, but we sold right at the height of the dot com bubble. And by the time the transaction closed, because we were a public company and the company were inquiring us for public, the 64 million dollar valuation was now worth three million. So all of the money that we were planning on taking off the table was basically gone. Many of the of the seven or eight of us that had equity in the company had not sold our stock right away to pay for our taxes. Luckily, I had sold 35% of my stock to pay for my taxes, but some of the guys were literally underwater. They owed more tax than their stock was now worth. But I was I was going through a huge period of stress. My my um, my mom was dying. I just got married. My wife was pregnant. We bought a house. You know, I was quitting a company and moving back to Canada. I had a huge amount of stress going on. Um, and the stress of just running and building this company and, you know, firing 150 people one day was really weighing on me. And I went in to get a, just a routine medical to get health insurance. And um, the doctor said, what's going on? I'm like, ah, nothing. Everything's pretty good. You know, got all this weird stuff going on, but I've got this weird metallic taste at the back of my neck. And when he found out everything that was going on in my life, he, I had something like a 99% chance of a heart attack within six months. I was clinically wow. redlining. And the chemical secretion at the back of my neck was something that my body was telling me to slow down, and I didn't know what it was, but it was a chemical secretion caused by stress that is literally telling you to stop. And I was pushing through it thinking I was totally fine. So, you know, since then I've lost 30 pounds and I'm more active and I meditate and go to yoga and I run and I'm much more cognizant of the negative habits in my life to try to balance those out. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I, I know that there's a listener out there saying, well, how can slowing down and taking time for yourself possibly be good when i got to get to this finish line? What would be your advice for that listener out there that's asking that? Well, there isn't a finish line. Like, the finish line is a coffin. You know, at the end of the day, none of us are getting out of this alive. We're all going to die. And the, the, what we're doing in terms of building our business is simply setting more goals. But if you're only going to be happy when you get to the horizon, remember the horizon keeps moving. But... You know, when you get this year's goals, then you're going to set next year's goals. When you hit next year's goals, you'll set more goals. So you're going to always keep growing things. So that, that's one of the reasons why I don't work at night. I don't work weekends. Is I realize I'm never going to catch up anyway, right? I, I will never actually get caught up. So I'll just put in a good solid day's work, but I'll also put in a good solid day's fun. Like I want to just relax and decompress and get off the grid and um, not beat myself up about it. Such such great wisdom in that. Thank you. I you know, I, I read that the, they call you the CEO whisperer, and I had to at least ask, what, what does that mean, or how did you get that name? Uh-huh. That was the uh, the publisher of Forbes magazine, the, the print edition of Forbes magazine, Rich Collegard, has seen me speak a number of times and had heard me talking with a number of CEOs and coaching them on the business, and he kind of gave me the moniker of the CEO whisperer, that I really am sitting in behind the scenes coaching and mentoring high-growth CEOs all over the world, and I've had... I guess I've had a really good impact over the last 11 years in coaching them that I've had so many success stories with CEOs and executive teams that I've coached and then now they're COOs that I'm, I'm helping to grow that he kind of gave me that moniker. And we're going to talk about COOs next. I want to ask one more question about that is with the CEOs, the, the leaders of these organizations, is there a common set of attributes that you see repeatedly with them that, that creates the success we all yearn for? Yeah, they have a they have a a, a, um, a huge amount of focus. You know, even with with their ADD, 
they're completely maniacally focused on growing their business. And, you know, most employees show up and put in a good day's work and go home. Most entrepreneurial CEOs, this is their, this is their baby. This is their passion. This is their mission. And, and the ones who are successful are maniacally focused. You know, I've always said that a person can only sit on one toilet at a time. And when you try to sit on more than one toilet, it gets kind of messy. And the reality is that most CEOs are really good at focusing and growing the team and growing the business and making sure that it's solid before they get into business number two or business number three. You know, the, the ones that aren't focused, it's almost like light. If you disperse light, you can light up a room, but if you highly focus it, it's like a laser and will cut through steel. I think, that, I think that's a, a great analogy. So I, I said we were going to talk about the COO Alliance. For, for those listeners that, that aren't familiar with it, can you share a little bit about what the COO Alliance is? Sure. Yeah, we started a network for second-in-commands, so they don't always have to have the title the COO. They can be the you know, general manager or director of operations, VP operations, or the COO. It's really the, the person who is the second-in-command to the CEO. So if the CEO was, was out sick for six months, who would really be running the company? And what I realized over the years was, you know, especially when I was the COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, is there was no place for the second-in-commands to grow and to learn. They typically were, were going to these entrepreneurial events. They would go to EO or YPO or Vistage or Genius Network or Mastermind Talks or Baby Bathwater, like an unbelievable amount of events for entrepreneurs, but there was nowhere for the second-in-command, and we didn't fit. We'd go to these entrepreneurial events, and we didn't fit. We were different personality profiles. We looked at businesses differently. We thought about them differently, and there were lots of groups for marketers and lawyers and engineers, so I just created a mastermind for the second-in-command called the COO Alliance. And as long as companies have a minimum of $3 million in revenue and 30 employees, they qualify. And we have five events per year in Scottsdale, and they select three of the five events to come to. So they're always meeting and mixing with different people and some of the same people at all the events. And they break out and work on themselves and on their business. So it gives them time three times a year to work on their own strengths and skills and also to work on their growing their companies as well. So when you get, you get to work with, with the COO, do you find there's a different skill set that, that requires success for a COO versus the CEO? Or, and how do those two complement each other that way? Yeah, well, for, there's, there's definitely a different skill set, but there's also a different personality profile. There's just a different core makeup of the, of the individual. You know, most entrepreneurial CEOs are very quick starts. You know, they, they fire ready aim. They shoot from the hip. They make it up as they go you know, they're distracted in a good way with their ADD. Most of the COOs ask a lot of questions and put systems in place. They are very process-oriented, and they care about execution and operations and getting stuff done. They're aware of all the things that need to happen, but they're good at prioritizing and put, putting them in order and working on them in the right way. So they often play cleanup to the entrepreneurial, you know, cyclone. Um, and ideally, what you're looking for is a real yin-yang approach, the real kind of true partnership of the two individuals. And if you can get that yin and yang approach or get that real kind of good bond between the two with high trust, what you're looking for is less of the skill difference and more allow the entrepreneur or the CEO to take the two or three areas that they love and that they're great at and they get energized from, allow them to run those areas of the business and find a second in command who likes all the stuff that the CEO hates so that you end up with that real partnership where they're both working and complementing each other. Is there anyone that can wear two hats, or is that a recipe for disaster? Pretty rare. Um, <laughs> you know, what you find, it, it usually gets you to a point. 
right? That that most again entrepreneurs and even early stage leadership team members are often the jack of all trades, master of none. But when you get a company to a certain point, you know, I came in to one eight hundred got junk as their COO, and there were fourteen employees in the company. And when I left six and a half years later, we had three thousand one hundred employees system wide. Um, so we went through you know from two million to one hundred and six million in revenue. There's just a very different set of skills to be able to scale that than there is to vision it. You know, I think entrepreneurs are tend to be good at vision and starting things, but not often good at scaling it and, and building it. And often they've never built companies before, where often you'll get a second in command, but this might be their third or fourth company they've helped build. Got it. And I want to I wanna go ahead and switch gears. I mean, for the listeners who know me, I'm a book junkie, and so I'm, I'm always enthusiastic to talk to a fellow author. You have a couple mm-hmm. books out, and I'd love to just spend a couple minutes on each one of them, is the first one, Double Double, which is in its seventh printing and has multiple translations around the world. For all the listeners who haven't picked up a, a copy, which is a great book, you mind sharing with them a little bit about what the title alludes to? Sure. I've actually got four. My fourth book is coming out next week. But the, um, the first book, Double Double, is all of the systems and processes that any company would use to double their revenue and double their profit in three years or less. And it teaches you all the systems related to vision, operations, execution, culture, you know, focus, some of the systems related to PR, but everything related to the people side of the business for sure, um, stuff around meetings. And it's, it's the very easy to implement systems that don't, you know, require an MBA to figure out. So that's the first book, and it's had huge success globally for sure. The second one that came out was called Meetings Suck, and that was really prompted by one of my clients who I've coached from 50 employees up to about 600 employees. In fact, they just raised $255 million from Warburg Pincus. They were complaining about meetings, and when we dug into it, we realized that none of their management team had ever had any training on running meetings, and really none of the employees had ever been trained on how to attend or participate at meetings. And what I realized was meetings don't suck at all, but we suck at running meetings. And you know, if you send a kid off to Little League Baseball and had never taught them how to hold a bat or catch a ball or throw a ball, the kid would hate Little League. Um, but if you taught them the basics and gave them some skills, they would like Little League Baseball. So it was very similar with meetings. Of course, they're going to complain. So I just codified a third of the book is how to run meetings, a third of the book is how to attend and participate and show up at meetings, and then a third of the book is what meetings you need to run to build a scalable, fast-growing, great culture. So it's really written for every employee at every company to read. The third book that came out about a year and a half ago, I co-authored The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs with Hal Elrod, and that's a lot of the morning success habits to be successful as an entrepreneur and also the habits in the rest of the day around focus and execution, and also talked about hiring a second command in that book. And then my third book that's just coming out right now is called The Vivid Vision, and it's really the system that codifies how to get the vision out of the mind of the entrepreneur and into the hands of all of the customers, suppliers, employees, and potential employees so everyone can read the mind of the entrepreneur, and then you can put the plans in place to make that come true. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, it's just, it, I had a chuckle because my, my next question to you was going to be talking about success and asking what are the secrets, and I think I'm going to answer my own question by saying read the four books. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, in, in all seriousness, we, everyone defines you know, success differently, and I, I think the first part of that question is, is how do you define success at this point in your life? I'm already there. I'm already there. I, I think it's just it's realizing what your core purpose is and you know, being able to use all my kind of 
hours along that line of excellence. Like as long as I can wake up every day and keep using my skills and driving towards my core purpose, which is helping entrepreneurs make their dreams happen, I'm already there. You know, I don't need any new stuff. I don't. So I already feel successful. I'm I'm just kind of happy that I get to do what I get to do. I'm really fortunate that I actually love what I do to make money. You know, and I realize that making money isn't the be all and the end all. So I'm I'm blessed that the time that I spend during the day working to make to make money is doing stuff that I actually love doing. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are are in jobs they don't love or even like. I don't know if that's giving you a definition or not, but no, I, I think, feel I like I'm there. I think it's great. So is there a, and I made a, I made, kind of made a joke of it earlier, but is there a secret to success? And again, you've had it. You hang around and coach people who are achieving it. I know you talked a little bit from, from a CEO about being focused, and you talked about what a COO can do. For people who say, I want to create success, and they all define it differently, is there a secret or is there a set of attributes they can be looking to or focusing on to get there? For sure. And, and I think this is the one that, that – really supercharged my business and my life seven or eight, maybe nine years ago, probably nine years ago. I had dinner with a guy and we were talking about investing and where we were investing our money. And, you know, I was talking about different stocks and mutual funds and, you know, cryptocurrency, wherever you're investing money. And he said, no, he said, I'm investing in relationships. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, well, the more money that I spend to sit with the right people, to be in mastermind groups, to go to conferences, to, you know, get coaching. The more I invest in that, the more I can get a 10x return. So I started uh, getting into some mastermind groups. And right now I'm in four mastermind groups. I pay $25,000 a year to be in the Genius Network. I pay $10,000 a year to be in uh, mastermind talks. I pay $25,000 to be in Strategic Coach and 10X program, and I pay another $10,000 to uh, go to Baby Bathwater. Oh, and then I'm also paying $10,000, again, to go to TED, the main TED conference. So that is $80,000 that I spend this year on being in three mastermind groups. But my connections have gone through the roof. My leverage off that has, has way up. Like, I, I easily do, you know, close to probably a half a million dollars in revenue just from those groups themselves. So I'm getting like a, a 5x return just off my investment. And I think a lot of people won't do that. They will, you know, I'm going to Tony Robbins in December and spending a week there. So I'm, I spend a lot of time investing in my personal growth, my business growth, my network. And I believe that my network is my net worth, that the more people that I know and have good relationships with and learn from, the faster my business grows. And then the last part of that is that I R&D. And my R&D stands for rip off and duplicate. So I just take the best systems that really smart people are already using, and I just do that. Instead of me trying to figure it out, I just take the best systems other people are using that already work, and I do them. And that's really been you know what's grown every company that I've built. That's why I started the CEO Alliance. Like I wanted, I wanted to have a place for these second in commands to go learn from each other. In fact, I don't really teach. I don't stand there and teach them. I just facilitate them talking to each other and meeting each other and learning from each other and sharing with each other and presenting to each other so that they can supercharge their own personal lives and business growth. Some of the wisest advice I think someone's going to hear, they just heard it right there with you. I want to thank you for that. That's such a great answer to that question. As we get ready to kind of, as we get ready to bring it home, I, I, this is the Be Investable podcast, and so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what does it mean when you hear Be Investable? What does it mean to be investable? To me, it means that, that you have to deliver what your promises are and respect the individual and have pride in all you do and, 
and have be referable. Like have people that are willing to invest in me, that are willing to refer me, that are willing to pay me for their advice, that are willing to introduce me to their friends, that are willing to you know give me some of their ideas and systems because they know I'm going to do something with it. You know, there's nothing that drives me crazy that more than people that I'm teaching that I know aren't going to go out and do anything with it or that are, you know, asking for my help and either aren't going to do anything with it or aren't going to say thank you. So I think being investable means just, you know, deliver on your promises, respect the individual, have pride in all you do. And, um, and when people help you, say thank you and use their, use their ideas. I think that's great. Well, Cameron, I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, you're welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Have a great day. Once again, that was Cameron Harold on the Be Investable podcast. My name is Michael Melfi, and I want to thank you for listening, and I appreciate each one of you for tuning in. If you haven't had a chance, definitely check out some of our previous episodes. We've had some amazing guests, and coming up on our next episode, I don't want to give it away yet, but you definitely want to be checking it out. Calling in from an international location, this interviewee is going to be a lot of fun to talk to. Well, there you have it the latest episode of the Be Investable podcast. Until next time, stay investable. In the meantime, check out our magazine by going to www.getinvestable.com forward slash magazine and subscribe for a free issue. Additionally, you can find more great content through our amazing media partners such as Cranes Business Detroit, Huffington Post, Michigan Business Network, Mishapreneur, Smart Hustle Magazine, and Startup Nation. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to talking with you soon.